Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to No Limits, a Mitch Rap Podcast. So what's up happening this week, Mike? Man, just a busy week at work. I'm sure it is for you too. But yes. uh, we're going to get through it with some podcasting and some beer. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was great. I actually, the other day I came home and Kellen's like, you have a package. I was like, hmm. I wasn't, I didn't order anything. She's like, did you order some from Amazon? Is that another book? I was like, no, no, <laughs> I, I, we're not ordering any more books until we move. All audio, all uh, audio books or uh, e-books. And I opened it up and I saw our new stickers, which are sick. And then I was like, "Why? What, what is this? And it was a uh, Mitrap Lives pint glass. Yes. Well, I was inspired and, and picked one up for myself. Had to get one for you. But uh, <laughs> it's not a good reason I had to get the pint glass. I was aiming for the Mitrap Lives t-shirts. I'm sure you, you've seen that and we talked about it and yes. want to get them. Well, it turns out <laughs> they only go up to extra large. And somebody had commented that they run rather small. So there was oh, no way I was getting an extra large that runs on the small side. <laughs> so I went with something that will just be the reason I need a 2X in the future, a beer glass, so I can keep drinking beer out of it. Well, there you go. Well, live on the podcast, we are going to christen Chris our new glasses. Let's do it. What are you uh, christening it with? Cheers. I am having a Guinness Draft Stout. Okay. New New York edition cans. Oh, what's that about? I haven't heard of that. In the foam of the Guinness is like the Brooklyn Bridge. Ah, okay. What are you drinking, Mike? I got a local brewery I really like here in Alexandria, Virginia. Aslan. Ooh, and I like being, them. Being October, I got their Marzen or their Oktoberfest uh, special. It's a. Uh, it's called Doc. The Doc Marzen. Very good. Well, cheers. 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 About time we we opened some brews on the podcast. It's been a while. The state of this world, I need a lot of alcohol to get through it. So yes, trap and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the second I turned off both the vice presidential debate last night and last week the first presidential debate, I opened up Mitrap. I went right to <laughs> separation of power within minutes of shutting that TV off. <laughs> got you feeling happy, right? Got you feeling real happy. Yeah, got me going. It woke me up. Well, how about you uh, do our Twitter roundup? I was going to say, speaking of uh, drinks and getting getting woken up, we've had some fun Twitter interactions over the last week or so. We started the name of Mitch Rap Coffee Blend. I mean, this this got out of control. So someone originally posted on Facebook, hey, does Mitch Rap drink coffee? And thankfully... We all have the real book spy, you know, always jumping in for a little trivia like that. And Ryan uh, Steck posted in the Vince Alone books. So he stopped tallying with the Kyle Mills books. But in the Vince books, Rap drinks coffee 26 times. So the answer is yes. Rap loves his coffee. I think I remembered from the book we're going to talk about today, Separation of Power, there's like at least two times where he drinks coffee. Mm-hmm. And overall, throughout the books, coffee is consumed 123 times. Wow. <laughs> Take a guess which book has the most coffee consumed. You probably won't be surprised. There's a lot going on in this one. Uh, consent to Kill. Consent to Kill it is. And um, throughout the story, there are 19 different characters seen drinking a cup of coffee. So 
we tip our hats wow. to the real book spy, Rap's biggest fan. Nobody can deny that, Ryan Steck. Thanks for that info. <laughs> That's a. I feel like that took a lot of time for that knowledge, but I'm glad we have it. I'm glad yes. we have it. Well, anyway, I saw all this going on, and I jumped in and said, "Wait." Jack Carr has his own revenge blend, and if you knew that, it's a Black Rifle Coffee. These guys are awesome. It's a veteran business, veteran-owned business, awesome social media stuff. They put out great content, and I hear their coffee's good, and you know a lot of their profits go to support veteran causes, but um, Jack Carr has his own revenge blend, so I said, hey, what would a Mitch Rapp blend be called? We got a couple of uh, people chiming in. You got to tell me. Take a look at this list. Wh- which ones do you like? Of what people? All right, so posted? we got, we got Angel of Death, Jawbreaking Java, Badass Brew. I like that one. <laughs> Brutality, <laughs> Skull of My Enemies, Dark Roast, Blackout Blend. The next one has to win. <laughs> yeah, definitely Americano Assassin. That's that's great, and, and that's, that's by our our boy. That's David Atrium Mystery David, Bus. He's Atrium at it again. Americano Assassin. Mitch Blackout Blend. Mitch Rappuccino. I like that one too. Yep. Kill Shot Espresso Blend. That's a, that's a good one. Night Vision Blend. These are these are these are all pretty good. Yeah, like Ron them. Ron who said Night Vision Blend made sure that it would be the strongest coffee you've ever seen. That you don't even need NVGs. You can you get night vision just from drinking the coffee. <laughs> it wait it awakens you that much it like tingles your senses that you now have like night vision you become a superhero that'd be sick that's it, that's it. well what do you think chris who should we send uh one of our new podcast stickers to which of those names do you like um i def i like brutality or uh or night vision blend I like Night Vision, but and plus the, Ron sent in three. He also sent in Rappuccino and the Blackout Blend. So I think we got to give it to Ron and reach out there and get him a podcast sticker. I like Blackout Blend. Boom. It's pretty good there. Mitch's Blackout Blend. Dark roast. Dark roast. <laughs> Speaking of our stickers, we will be sending a couple of those to our newest patron. So we want to welcome Steph K. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you joining us and supporting this podcast. You can become a patron, get some perks, and help us run and keep the show going. Uh, Just go to MitchRapPod.com and click the orange Support Us on Patreon button. Yes, and we got to mention that we're going to have our October book giveaway for our patrons. Again, we're doing a winner's choice. So we got six different autographed Mitch Rap books uh, for the winner to choose. Those would be Executive Power, Extreme Measures, Pursuit of Honor, Act of Treason, Protect and Defend, and The Survivor. Which one did uh, did Peggy end up picking? So she picked The Survivor. I sent it out to Germany. Hopefully, nice. you know, it'll get there. And you have, you have another copy of The Survivor, I'm guessing? I have three signed copies, so I'm oh, keeping nice, one. Nice. <laughs> one went to Peggy, and the winner of October, if they pick it, I do have a third. Yep, yep. I was also told by my wife to... Uh, to lay off on the the book buying as well. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a common theme in, amongst this podcast, significant others. So, <laughs> yeah. but if you're interested in uh, winning one of those books, go ahead and sign up to be a patron. We'd love to have you. And uh, yeah, we got to make a big announcement, right, Mike? Yeah, if you sign up this month, you will not only be helping us support the show, 
but your next two months, all 100% of your Patreon pledges, we will donate to the Prostate Cancer Foundation. We are happy to say, thanks to our amazing patrons so far, we were able to cover our podcast operating costs for the rest of 2020. And because of that, we have at least two months, all of November and all of December's pledges, will go directly in a donation to the Prostate Cancer Foundation, for uh, specifically for the work that they do with veterans. So this is the time. Sign on up, become a patron, help us out, get some cool swag, bookmarks, stickers of No Limits, and your next two months of pledges after you sign up will be going 100% back to a great cause. So... That's awesome. That's awesome. Cool. Well, Chris, what are we covering today? What are we about to get All into? Right. So to this month, October, is Separation of Power Month. So today we're going to be breaking down Vince's third book um, in the Mitrap Saga, his fourth book overall in the rap universe, I guess. Um, so yeah. We're going to be discussing the first half of the book. We like the format we sort of did for Total Power. We're going to be sticking with that going forward. And we're going to be covering the intro to about chapter 23, about just just half, almost halfway through the book. So yeah, that's what we're going to be doing. And to kick it off, let's start with our Goodreads score. So it has a pretty decent score, 4.3 with like, I think it was like 20 or 30,000 reviews. Pretty good. And the Goodreads summary goes like this. So a newly appointed CIA director, Irene Kennedy, is the target of an inside plot to destroy her and prematurely ends the American president's term. To make matters worse, Saddam Hussein is close to entering the nuclear arms race, something Israel has vowed to stop. With the haunting specter of World War III looming, the president calls on his secret weapon, his top counterterrorism operative, Mitrap. But with only two weeks to take out the nukes, Rap is up against a ticking clock and impossible odds. They got it. That's that might be the best little summary we've seen on Goodreads yet. That one was was pretty gripping. Yeah, if, if I read that, I would definitely read this book. So I absolutely, like that. yeah, that one nailed. Now, it. now we want the more important review, though. You got to give it to us. Well, it's limerick time. I guess you could say that my review of this book can best be summed up in the form of a limerick. But unfortunately today, I only have the first two lines of a limerick. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking about this one, and I thought, let's let the listeners finish it up. And you promised us yeah, a Chris limerick, so I'm also uh, going to throw the... I ready for next, for next time. Oh, okay. you got it ready for next week. Okay, yeah. okay. All right. Well, I'm working on it. I'm wor- workshopping it. It's in works. IT's looking at it. So it, you got to put some thought into it. I'm telling you. I right, know so, it, these are hard. They're hard. <laughs> so how about this? I'll give you the first two lines, and um, we'll see if we can get some listeners to uh, share on social media how they would finish the limerick or write their own, and then you and I will uh, will give both our limericks next week. What do you say? Okay, All sounds right. good. Well, here's what I got so far. Between love and work, rap is torn. When a trip to Milan goes terribly wrong. Ooh. See, you're so good at this. You're so good at this. Well, you got to finish it, or somebody else has got to finish it for next week. All right. Week. I'll, I'll, I'll give my... I'll, I'll start with that, okay? And then listeners out there, we want to hear what, what you say. So, send it in. Speaking of love, that's been... That's a theme 
in this book, particularly the first half, wouldn't you say? I mean, love is definitely, definitely in the air. There's definitely. The birds and bees are, you know. <laughs> a lot of sex talk. A lot of sex talk. Uh, I guess a book that has Donatella, you know, there's no way around it. Yeah, when I was thinking about the themes for this first half, that was a major thing I was thinking of, was the, the relationships and the love interest of Mitch really come to the forefront here. Yep. And while we, you know, we've, over the past couple of books, we've sort of started to get to know Anna, but we really, in this book, we really start to get to know her much more and develop her more as like a character and the love story between her and Mitch really comes to the forefront. And also, you know, we learn more about Donatella and because we had, we had first met her right in the last book, but we didn't really know, you know, we knew a little bit about her backstory and um, so yeah, it was great to see, you know, how much she actually mentions how like she on, the only person she ever loved was Mitch and that mm-hmm. she, even if who knows if it's like, she really thought this, but in the moment she was like, I had thoughts of hanging it up and, and ending it and potentially maybe being with him long term. So I thought that was an interesting plot point to put it that Vince put in the, in the story. Yeah. But the other, the other theme that I sort of came up with besides like love was this idea of there's a lot of like plotting and scheming. So like games within games and literally for the first 20 to 25, 22 chapters, it's just this building of going back and forth, back and forth. Even within a single chapter, we go back and forth between the people who are, you know, plotting against each other. And, you know, we, we'll, we're going to, in the next section, we'll dive into like what that actually entails. But there was not much action in the first part, but it was still gripping. Mm-hmm. And the writing was really, really good. The pacing of everything. So, yeah, that's that's my theme that I came up with. Yeah, I think both of those are great. The, you know, love is in the air with all of the drama between the love triangle of Mitch and Anna, Mitch and Donatella. We even, spoiler alert, you know it's coming. We get a proposal in this book, so... That's definitely yes. a theme. And then games, uh, game within a game because of all the scheming by Ben Friedman and Massad's involved and Hank Clark is still pulling strings. And we definitely see and Kennedy um, taken over at the CIA. So definitely uh, lots of games and different levels of uh, secrecy and backstabbing and, and plotting going on. Yeah. A lot of manipulation, a lot of character yes, ma- yes. manipulation. Yeah. And I, I was, this brought me to this idea of, especially, you know, I thought it was interesting to talk about this directly after, so we just talked about Total Power, and then before that we did Lethal Agent. Mm-hmm. And those are like different, and obviously it's it's Kyle, not Vince, but you can really tell like the progression and how Vince and even Kyle like changes what type of book he wants to write each time. And I was thinking back to the previous three books that we had done before coming here how we'd done term limits transfer of power and then the third option and each of them are like a little bit different you know and then this one so i thought you know term limits it's just very uh psych not psychological thriller but like you know a thriller novel and then there's like a twist at the end because we find out that the the bad guys are actually good guys or you know whatever and then transfer power to me was sort of like this pure action novel with like a hostage crisis, you know, you have to send in the yep. Mitch, Mitch to save the day. And then we talked about how the third option 
it really like showed off Mitch's spycraft. Whereas like we didn't really we saw like him as an operator in the in Transfer of Power, but not so much as a spy. But then uh, the third option really brought that out, and to me, it reminded me very much of the Born Identity. And then so for separation of power, yep. with a lot of the storylines continuing over from the third option, to me, this it, it feels very much like the Born Supremacy. You know, it's almost like these these next three novels are Flynn's adaptation or you know he's very much i i feel like he's inspired by the Bourne trilogy in, in these novels How, would you would you agree with that yeah i'd agree with that and i would also say this is kind of a a breakout novel in the sense of we see mitch being built up as this spy we see him with his spy craft in this book particularly the second half we see him with the military and special forces and army rangers and we're going to see him operate in a war zone on the streets of Baghdad and how he can think through a mission, plan out the mission and nail every step, which does include his spy craft uh, with disguise. So I really like that progression as well of, of where uh, Vince is taking Mitch and growing him. And, you know, I've clamored for it. I've been talking about this for a while. I just want to see Mitch in the middle East. These first few books, yeah. we've been building up him as a character. I feel like there's a, a pivot in the middle of this book which I guess we'll get to next episode, where Mitch just goes off. He's ready to be in his element, blending in in the Middle East. You know, we get this whole Saddam Hussein nuclear weapon uh, plot, which really, really takes off in the second half. And so as a whole, this book is doing something brand new. Imagine this is the first time you see Mitch operating in that environment, in this hot zone. Uh, really excited uh, that that happens here, because I know that's going to be part of who Mitch is over all the books from here on out. We'll come back to that. I think what comes to mind is the American assassin, how like the first half of the book is him being groomed, you know, and be selected being groomed. And then it switches to him. They're in Lebanon, I think, right there or Beirut. Mm -hmm. um, and he has to go in, I mean, I, yep. you know, so, and there there's, he, so Flynn uses this, you know, a hard pivot, not all the time, but, sometimes where it just completely changes the story and yeah. you know the first half because like the, the first half here we don't even get action until chapter 22 yeah and it's not a lot yeah not much it's so. good it's it's delightful when we get it so uh so let's jump yes. in then let's start talking about the plot and um what the first half of the book is like so we're going to go chapter one through 23 on this podcast and then uh after chapter 23 to the end next week right so uh, on the theme of Mitch and his skills coming out in this book, did you catch this little quote kind of like it's before the prelude, even before the dedication? I guess you would call it like a, a cover quote. It's like an inside cover uh, quote. Mm. And I thought yeah, it was I'm, I'm really listening good. to this be an audio book, so I didn't get it. Mm. Yeah. The very first thing after you turn from the cover, you get this. From the deadly alleys of Baghdad to the corruption-riddled streets of Washington, D.C., the CIA has a secret weapon, Mitch Rapp. I love that. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, before we even see anything else, you open the book, That's that hits you. I like it. Yeah. And then the prelude. The prelude gives fans something to uh, to celebrate. It's a, well, it's a funeral. But um, to remember, I should say, a, a man that we, we loved over the first couple of novels. Thomas Stansfield. Yeah, and unfortunately, we haven't had a chance to really talk about him 
too much. We we did mention them in transfer power and uh, in the third option, but yeah, I feel like he's really strong in two novels we're going to talk about next year in American Assassin and Killshot. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he's also in ter- uh, term limits too, but you know, it was kind of sad that his it was off screen or off book. I guess mm-hmm. that not that I wanted to see you know him die, but like I would have. I would have liked to have seen, you know, sort of a last interaction between him and Irene or him and Mitch. But, you know, he was a very reserved guy. So Flynn likes to put these backstories in, maybe not the whole thing, but a little bit every time when you first introduce the character in in these novels. And we get his whole description, you know, the wild Bill Donovan days being placed behind the Iron Curtain. He led a Jedberg team you know, destroying a railway line and communication station for D-Day. Like, uh, and then he made Moscow station chief. This man lived a crazy life all in the service to the agency. And what a dude. Yeah. I mean, I think Vince does that real well throughout this book. He's giving backstory here of Stansfield, but all throughout the book, he'd give like these snippets of special forces operations or, or some other famous uh, military operations um, and drop crumbs throughout the book about them. And you can clearly see that his writing and his stories are developed from real-world operations. I mean, I love that Jedberg operation in World War II. Like, I can see Stansfield. And for anyone who doesn't know, that was when both British uh, Special Forces and the OSS, the precursor to the CIA in the early days of World War II, parachuted into occupied France. And so they really went behind enemy lines. They clandestinely marshaled the troops of local communities, local neighborhoods throughout France and resistance forces uh, in small numbers, risking their lives. And just to think Thomas Stansfield parachuting in as a young, you know, what, 18, 19 year old kid signed up to to clandestinely, uh, you know, go against the Nazis and 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 rally these local troops to to stand up against this aggressor. I like, I love hearing that. And we're going to get little snippets of real world operations like that all throughout the book. Yeah. And some of these, some of these little snippets that he does for, you know, Stansfield here or Irene Kennedy or Donatella, or even like the Mossad assassins, you know, um, what's his name? Rosenthal. Mm -hmm. I would love to read a book like based off the little paragraph to two paragraph descriptions he gives on these backstories, you know, like he could, he has enough to write a whole book. I was thinking at one point, uh, wouldn't you love to see a little spinoff series that was just Donatella and Rap, like, oh yeah, being a team back Absolutely. in the day? Absolutely. And and then fast forward, wouldn't you love to see that for Stan Hurley? And Kyle's oh, talked yeah. about that. He would love to write something about Hurley. You know, Kyle said he loves you know the early days of the CIA or uh, maybe Cold War thrillers kind of like a, a Le Carre style. And I just think that would be amazing to see Stan Hurley uh, operating in his younger years. I just think that'd be amazing. Yeah. I would love to see yeah. the early days of Stansfield, you know, before he's anywhere near the, you know, or even like him in Moscow. Like, you know, you could put him as the station chief and, you know, have new characters. I don't know. There's yeah. just so much. There's so much you could well, do. Well, just to wrap up Stansfield, because we're in South Dakota at his uh, funeral, We get a really nice little reflection here where Vince writes, quote, Kennedy could think of no one she admired more than than Thomas Stansfield. The man had given close to 60 years of his life to the agency, his belief in democracy and his country, 
and she had given him her word. She would return to Washington. You can already sense a battle coming about Kennedy fulfilling her obligation to Stansfield to take over the CIA and um, and give it her everything that he taught her and that he groomed her for. So I like that funeral scene as a as the opening. Yeah. So right after the funeral scene, we then jump into one of the first of our four, I feel like, you know, three to four main storylines that are sort of all, we're jumping around between each one through these first, you know, 20 or so chapters. And the first one being, you know, the, the plot with Hank Clark. We see him, he's down at his island in the Caribbean. He meets with this piece of shit uh, investor who is complaining about the money and he doesn't want Irene to be the um you know to be in charge of the CIA because he wants this I, what I thought was really cool because both me and you read the Dan Brown novel um not deception point but the other one uh about like how the NSA computer like goes haywire and so reading about echelon cuz I think like Dan Brown wrote that around the same time that this novel was wrote, written so like that must have been in the papers about like <laughs> back of the day and echelon was this like um Computing software, supercomputer that can spy everywhere and anywhere combined with a physical network to actually eavesdrop. It was really advanced for its day. And so I guess you would say kind of like what would later we'd all talk about the Patriot Act and spying. Echelon was kind of like the first wave of that and the and the technology, the infrastructure that would allow for it. Yeah. Yeah. So we have that storyline. Then we have which is going to be the rap and Anna and then later on Donatella storyline. Domestic really troubles. See, yeah. Domestic <laughs> troubles. You know, my lover and my, my side piece and my main squeeze <laughs> are going to meet each other. And a ring in the pocket the whole time. Uh, yeah. So they, we see rap at his house on the Chesapeake with Anna and they're living together. He's thinking about marriage. Uh, and at the same time, he's very hesitant about going to Langley. He doesn't. He he's always he always has even in like in total power. The jitters uh, when he go, he hates going to Langley. Yeah. He hates going. He even parks like he has a spot yeah. that has his name on it, but he never parks Not there. Not parking like, there. <laughs> oh, and but this, this is different though because it would be his first official day on the job. True. So it's Not only his usual going to Langley kind of jitters. It's also. I'm going to Langley as a public person, as you know, as someone that people at Langley are going to know. Like my paperwork is filed. This is a job. Yeah. That's way different for rap. And he's a little skeeved out. Yeah. Uh when he goes there that um like the secretary knows his name, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny. He's like, I'm but... supposed to be the Orion team. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't know me, but now everyone does. He's he's gonna be a special advisor in CTC, right? In counterterrorism? Yeah, on the uh, Middle Eastern desk, yeah. In the Middle Eastern desk, yep, yep. Yeah. But one, just to jump back to the this opening scene with Rap and Anna at his house. So there's this one quote that discusses, you know, the nature of Rap. And obviously this is going to be some sort of um, sticky point that's probably, that, that is going to come to a head with their relationship. Because, you know, she's a journalist, he's an yep. assassin. And yep. so about Rap's killing over his lifetime. And it, and it says, So he had never bothered to count each and every person he killed. The obvious reason was that he preferred not to know, and the more practical one was that there was no way he could ascertain the actual number. 
machine guns and explosives, the indiscriminate weapons of war, made the tally impossible. But the number was large, and Rap knew it. it was well over 50, possibly 100. And those were only the ones by his hand alone. If he counted the, the times he'd helped lead special forces units on takedowns, the times he'd painted a target or so uh, for jets that could drop laser-guided bombs, the number could easily be double, if not triple. Yep. He's killed a lot. Yep. And that's going to be, like, the fact that he's done that is going to be a huge yep. you know, elephant in the room for him and Anna. Yep. A quote like that is really important because this is only the third rap novel. And that right there, in a paragraph or two, tells us he's a really seasoned guy and would give readers who don't know him or have not read the series great insight into what they're going to read about, the kinds of things he's been doing. So, yeah, yeah, great little background there. It's funny, you know, we've been talking about giving characters background. It's nice to get some snippets of rap background, considering how early this book was in the series. Yeah, I guess you have to think about this. We know a lot about rap because we've read the whole story, but this is only the third book, and yeah. we would only know what little snippets from either Transfer of Power or the third option. So this really shows you how much he's actually done in his, what, he's 30-something now in, in his novels? Yeah. So. Well, we see Rap at the CIA, and I really like this little exchange where Kennedy brings him in, who also it's kind of her first day on the job or soon to be as, you know, her confirmation is happening in the Senate for CIA director. So she's in a new role, raps in a new role. And we go back to the third option when Kennedy plays the tape of a GW university, George Washington university security camera. And it was in the hallway and we see a woman leaving the office of Peter Cameron, right as rap and Coleman come down the hallway and find out Cameron's been stabbed in the head, <laughs> stabbed through the ear, I should say. With and the ice pick, right? With the ice pick. And Kennedy and Rap are, are kind of playing this game where Rap obviously knows it's Donatella. He's ID'd her. In his mind, he wants to be the sole person to follow up with Donatella and get the information from her. Knowing from third option there's a possible mole in the CIA, Rap is going to keep it down low under wraps. Now, Kennedy, someone he trusts, he also realizes in her position, she would have to kind of make this a bigger deal. If there's a suspect of who in the video killed Cameron, he knows she by duty would have to activate, you know, more officers in the CIA, more intelligence uh, case managers to look into it. And Rap, not wanting that, plays this coy little game saying, oh, yeah, any any leads on who she is? You guys got anything on that? And Kennedy is kind of playing this, I don't want to play my cards, but I know it's Donatella. And so there's a back and forth between the two. And eventually, you know, Rap can outsmart Kennedy. No one can. And Kennedy, you know, drops the drops the hint. She knows it's Donatella. And Rap knows his game is up. And he's like, I got this. Let me operate. We know there's a mole. We know there's a leak. It's got to be me to follow it up let it be i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to rendezvous with donatella when i'm on vacation with anna in milan because donatella obviously is italian and lives and works in milan yeah did did you catch there was this one line where they are discussing rap potentially taking a job at the middle eastern desk and, and coming on the inside you know 
Uh, also, he he was going to get paid sixty grand yeah. plus an extra like what is it two hundred uh, on the side? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for running the Orion team, I was like, that sounds sick. Um, yeah. But she mentions she always knew that he was going to have to get out at some point, and that he had she had been training his replacement. Yeah. And that line, I was trying to think, who is his replacement? Like, we that that must be something he wrote that maybe he was thinking about doing, but never. I mean, the only thing person I could think of was Mike Nash, I guess. He's not even around though at like at this time. Right. I don't and know. Mike Nash was always on the inside. He was never on yep. the outside. Like he was never part of the, like the Orion team, so. That line does make me think though because it's only the third rap book. Does Vince even know if he's going to be a long-term character? Does he even know this thing's going to go beyond 3, 4, 5 books whatever yeah, it that's... is? And and then combine that though with he's already talking about aging rap out like since the first since transfer of power getting out yeah, has but... been a theme with rap and so these early vince books i can't believe that maybe just vince didn't have like this vision of it's going to be this long-term thing you know um maybe he was talking about replacing him and getting out and ready to retire and living with anna not knowing that he was going to take off and this was going to be something you can't you can't have him get out that soon the readers would you know go nuts <laughs> yeah it's very interesting to go on back on these rereads and think about at the time yeah you know there's these every now and then you get these little snippets little one lines that obviously he put it in there because he was thinking about going down one track but then yep. you know things changed and that never happened so but he still got to write that story by making rap the replacement for Hurley or kind of having that relationship. Right. Instead of having right. to make rap the mentor getting out training somebody, he still got to write that story, but with rap's origin, which is pretty cool. Yep. Also, I just wanted to bring up here, it's interesting looking at a younger rap here because we just went and even though he's not young in the sense of like we've we've seen an even younger rap, but... This is a very different rap than Total Power or Lethal Agent rap. You know? Of course, yeah. Also, the style of Vince's, you can really, it's fun like going back and forth between the two books because the style of Kyle is very different than the style of uh, Vince's writing and how they write the character Mitch. They're the same character, but just like how they write them yeah. is, is, it comes out here, and especially in these like conversation scenes. Well, I guess one thing with that older, younger version of rap even though he's talking about getting out and settling down, he still has this, it's my duty. Like every time he keeps from Anna from telling her about his job and he's like, honey, you know, there are things I can't talk about. He does it out of this sense. I feel like of honor and integrity where by the time we hit lethal agent and total power, he's kind of like, fuck this shit. Like I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to be dedicated to the mission. But like even his conversations with Claudia are more like, America's changing. They don't want you. Like you should kind of think about how you're you're treated and appreciated. And he's obviously gonna kick ass and take names and save America because that's who he is. But I feel like right now he's a little more he's a little more like raw. He's just like, it's my duty. I can't tell you, Anna. Like I have to protect this country. I think once we get to consent to kill, we're gonna see like the reason why that changes. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like when he's and it's the second half for next week, but when he's like planning the mission with the Delta boys and the army Rangers and everyone, like it's just something about him being pumped up, ready to go when he's planning missions in total power, like talking to everyone at the barn. It's kind of like, 
yeah, jigs up. This is what we're going to have to do. Take care of yourself, you know? But here he's like super excited, like, oh, I'm going to go undercover and we're going to storm Baghdad and we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And like, he has this edge that I love. Freaking love it. Yeah. Yeah. The third storyline we haven't talked yet. And by like chapter five, six, seven, it starts coming around that the Israelis are even more heavily involved than one might have thought. Kennedy has been talking with her contacts in Israel uh, all throughout the series so far, but we really meet Ben Friedman, the director of Mossad, and we actually see him not working with the CIA yet. We first see him talking to Hank Clark. He's bringing some information. Well, he's he's talking to Hank Clark about some side jobs and things that he's working on. Obviously, he was hired by Clark to kill, to have Donatella kill Peter Cameron, the professor, but he also has some information he's going to bring to the White House. And at the White House, in the Situation Room, he passes to the president information that Israel has discovered Saddam Hussein is on the brink of developing four nuclear weapons. A North Korean physicist has been brought in. He's working out of a hospital that has a secret bunker underneath it in the in the city the center of Baghdad. And while Kennedy and the president thought this was a later issue, they had six months or a year to deal with before Saddam has anything operational. Friedman says, no, it's sooner than you think. Within, I think it's what, two months? He he tells yeah. them the Israelis have found out that Saddam's going to have uh, nuclear weapons that are operational. And so this, of course, is, uh, that's like dropping a bomb on the president's desk, forcing him into action that he probably didn't want to have to be strong-armed into because the Israelis are like, if the Americans know this, they're going to make a move to protect their interests. If the Americans don't move, they know we're going to have to do it. And if the, the president knows, the U.S. president knows, if the Israelis have to make that call and invade Iraq or send a team in or bomb Baghdad, that's going to launch a whole shitstorm across the Middle East. And so He's kind of the Prime Minister Goldberg of Israel and Ben Friedman of Mossad are strong-arming the president into saying, you have to do our dirty work for us. Yeah. So while all that's happening, and so Ben is obviously involved both in the bringing the information about Saddam, but he's also heavily involved with trying to use Hank Clark to get, well, help Hank Clark to get him into the presidency and he's heavily involved in the, you know, knowing about what happened during the third option, try to make the CIA look bad, and allowing Clark to use, or having Donatella, you know, take out his man. Clark is busy manipulating some other political players, including we have Rudin again, who I really can't stand this character. I hated him in the third option. He's spineless. I, I hate him even more in this book. He gets and played. And so... Oh, yeah. And so Clark is just manipulating Rudin to do his dirty work for him to, in order to put Irene in a particular situation by, because he, he's in charge of the Senate or the House Intelligence Committee. And he, if he finds some information that could, is politically damning, he could, you know, come up with some sort of investigation. Because his first attempt to have, you know, Mitch Rapp die in Germany and make them look bad didn't go over well. He now has to sort of change tactic. Yeah. So the next couple chapters, we just have a bunch of scenes with the president and the White House um, discussing, you know, Irene has actually confirmed what Ben has said by 
they have satellite images of all these trucks that it's kind of cool how CIA analysts are able to do this kind of stuff, how they can look at back satellite images, count the number of trucks, figure out how much payload they took out and figure out how much asphalt they brought in. And it all confirms that yes, there could be some sort of command and control structure underneath that hospital. And also that they need to, they decide they need to take action and they bring in the flood and his advisors and they come up with the idea of using deep throat, uh, which the, the military guy asked the president, I remember there was this one quote in the book where he's like, sir, have you ever heard of deep throat? And the president, you know, not saying this, but thinking it, he's like, why is this guy talking about either a porn novel, a porn movie or, uh, you know, the informant during the, the Watergate scandal or Nixon. Right. Um, but then he decided, you know, just to not know. And I, I thought that was a funny line. Um, but yeah, so they just initially they decide to use this uh, deep throat missile to get in there while the president and co are deciding what to do with uh, Iraq and Saddam. We have back in Mossad, Friedman is deciding how to get rid of Donatella. Um, and again, we had talked about this earlier, how Flynn really likes to bring up these backstories, little snippets. Uh, so he recollects on her past and how it would really be bad. You know, he's, he brought her up. He, you know, manipulated her because she had heroin coming into Tel Aviv. But she really, he would regret getting rid of her, but, you know... He has to do what he has to do and decides to send his man Rosenthal to uh, take care of her. Um, at the same time, Clark decides to meet with uh, the deputy. We find out that the deputy uh, in charge of the CIA, Brown, is involved with potentially getting Kennedy removed. Um, and this guy is also a piece of shit. Um, and he's Clark tells him, you know, in order to, if you want to get to where you want to be, you got to give information on the Orion team. And Clark was actually one of the ones that founded the Orion team. I thought that was an interesting yeah. little tidbit that Flynn put in there too. He so. was in on it. Yep. So what do you think? Should we get to Milan? The story kind of changes yes. here. Yeah, we get a scene where, and this happens quite a few times. Anna's waiting for Rap. Rap's coming home from work, and then later on, Rap is waiting for Anna as she takes too long to pack up. I feel like Vince does a good job fleshing out their relationship with these little tidbits of real life, you know, <laughs> waiting for your spouse, one's running late, what's going through Rap's mind when Anna's running late, what's going through Anna's mind about her husband possibly being dead when he's late. Uh, it just makes them both and their relationship more real. But yes. we, Rap is is coming home and he's kind of just reflecting. You know, there are a lot of car scenes where, where Rap is driving here and there. I thought this was pretty good. Rap is, you know, he's thinking about marrying Anna and he has the engagement ring that he plans to bring to Milan and he's feeling his pocket for it while they're in the airport and everything. And he's thinking on what he's been through and how she can or anybody really could never understand. And again, it's so, so early in our time with Rap. I thought lines like this really give us a deeper insight into who he is and how he operates. So Vince writes, quote, he had been on the front lines. He had seen what the enemy was capable of. He had seen them kill innocent women and children without hesitation. As far as Rap was concerned, this was the major difference between them. 
in all his years, in all of the operations he'd conducted, his record was clean. He had yet to kill a non-combatant. He did his killing up close, usually with a knife or a gun, and on rare occasions, he'd used explosives. He was immensely proud of this, and he had come to realize that it was probably the only thing that allowed him to sleep at night. And so thinking about living his life with Anna, Rap has to kind of rationalize to himself. Uh, he can't tell her everything. So these like, you're a super secret CIA man. What have you done? Who have you killed? I mean, Anna saw her, saw him kill, you know, her potential rapist in the White House. So she knows what he's capable right. of. But he's saying, I can live with that. I can live with myself because I'm, I'm different from my enemy. All of the people I've killed have been evil and I've saved more lives. So just really interesting to see Rap's psychology of how he's going to be able to settle down and, and live a slightly more normal life, which of course doesn't end up happening, but mentally, you know, he's in a space to do it because he, he has had a clean record and a career of not hurting innocence. And I think that sets Rap apart in this genre as a character. He's, he's really a good guy for someone who's so macho, you know, or so, yeah. so good at killing. Yeah, I agree. So we walk through Milan and they go shopping they're going to do some sightseeing, uh, but Rap quickly is able to get away from Anna, and he's he's having this whole struggle of like, you know, I feel bad. I, th I didn't lie to her. Oh, like first it starts with, I didn't lie to her about the gun because she asked me, do I have it on me? When actually it wasn't on me. It was just with me. Uh, it was also how he got through security, broken up into little pieces. Yeah, that was, that was some cool stuff. The technicality that Vince and both Kyle as well put into these novels at times is very cool. Vince even writes about, and this is definitely true in the CIA. Um, I think they have like a science and research division or uh, S and T science and technology division. They had these x-ray machines that they bought into, into Langley to let the scientists play around with. And they catalog every type of x-ray machine around the world and know exactly which airport bought which model and that way they know what they can get through and how to how to beat the x-ray machine. I thought that was crazy right. that cool, was cool that the CIA was working on that. Right. And so and then he, he's debating like is it bad I told her I have to go meet with someone I used to work with. Is it bad that I'm not telling her that she also used to be my uh, uh, you know an ex-lover ex that I'm going to go meet this woman this really hot attractive. So I wanted to ask you when you were reading this, who did you envision Donatella was? If you had to pick, if you had to cast Donatella. Gal Gadot? Maybe mm. like a Wonder Woman? That That's sex appeal, but tall. can also kill you. Tall. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's another character, so this is weird. I don't have a visual. I can't help but thinking she's Cassiopeia Vitt. I don't know if you read the Steve Barry novels. I love Steve no. Barry. He writes these thrillers, but every thriller has a historical basis, like one that what the 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 main character Cotton is doing is related to and tied back to like the Knights Templar or something during the Middle oh, Ages, okay. but that's affecting his mission today. And so anyway, there's this female lead who's very strong named Cassiopeia. And to me, um that's like a perfect fit for who I think of as Donatella. That's a good one, Gal Gadot. I was thinking like Penelope Cruz. Okay. Or uh, 
for sex appeal, I guess like Selma Hayek, but Selma Hayek doesn't mm. seem like someone who would like is like a deadly person. You know, maybe like a Charlize. Okay, okay. Good. Yeah. With, for the lethality, yeah, definitely. For the lethality. Who is yeah. um who's an alias? Um Jennifer Gardner? Is that who Jennifer that is? Gardner? Yeah. Maybe her. But it's got to be Italian. Yeah. Anyways. We got to pick somebody who's oh, Italian. Yeah, I know. I know. got to pick an Italian. <laughs> right. So he's debating. That was like this. The whole internal aspect of, of Mitch, his conversations he's having to himself is interesting, you know, insight into who he is. And he goes and he buys flowers for her. And yeah. like, even this is interesting. He purposely picks the color flowers to not send the, the wrong message. Yep. Uh, he gets into her. She works at the house of Armani. And... Uh, surprises her with these flowers and they have like this whole conversation about sex like how good is the sex how good is the sex that's all donatella wants to know (laughs) she's kind of typical italian i guess she's jealous did you pick up on that she was really really jealous like she wants to meet anna and they're like i don't know if that's such a good idea and she won't she won't give up on it she's pretty relentless i was taken aback by that how relentless she was yeah and you know i guess this stems like they even discuss how she's hurt when he finds yep. out that she is going to you know he's going to marry, marry someone else who wants to marry anna and whether or not she actually believed it she thought that maybe they could have a life together so yep. yeah she really did you mentioned that before never realized how strongly she felt for rap until I reread this again. You know, you kind of lose her later on in the books. And my mind just was like, oh, yeah, Donatella, that ex-lover, we know about her. But it's much stronger than I remember it being, you know, years later. Uh, right. I, I don't remember their relationship being that strong where Donatella is always talking about the sex and always jealous and wouldn't give up that Mitch is leaving her permanently. Yeah, because when she comes back later on in life, she's like sort of, both times she's brought in as like this gaggle. Both times, I think it's like as a gaggle of assassins, like that's from Mitch's past. Yep. And yes, we know that she's this ex-lover, but the way he writes her later on, it's she's not like this over to the top, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe let's get into this now because... I want to ask you, over the course of this book, and since we primarily get a lot of the Anna, Donatella, jealousy, love triangle stuff going on now, who's right? Because Anna this whole time is in Milan. At first, she's happy because she's shopping, right? She gets to go to the Duomo, the cathedral, and across the way is the Galleria, which is the finest shopping in all the world in Milan. So she's happy at first. She's like, sure, I'll spend some time, or I'll go to the hotel room. I'm in Milan, yay. But slowly, she falls apart. Mitch is gone, and we're about to get to a really exciting action scene that keeps Mitch away for a long time, and we see Anna fall apart in the hotel room. At first, she's like, I can't blame him. He's doing something important. It's work. He's He's got an important job. And then it's, but really, this long? And really, I thought we were bonding. I thought this was going to be a really important step in our relationship kind of vacation. And then eventually, she just starts drinking and getting into hysterics. Is she wrong? I don't think so. I don't I don't like her very much as a character and you know, our tagline is just let Mitch be Mitch. But I don't think she's wrong for getting this mad at him. No, but that's the problem with dating a spy or sure. like trying to have some I mean, I'm guessing that's why him and Donatella 
we're so good together because yep. you know you literally the only way to love one another is to be work in the same line of work so but it, when you do that also you run the risk of you know what if donatella flips on him you know like there's there's been movies written about that kind of yep. stuff so yeah i don't know she's not wrong but that's that's what you run into trying to someone who is in Mitch's line of work trying yeah. to have a normal because Mitch is not normal. No, he, he he. That's one of the recurring themes of this entire series. He wants to have a normal life. He wants to have a family. He want and he he's starting to get it. But even you know we we see in the last two books he can't he can't do he it. He can't ever have it. It's so true. Yeah, I know a lot of people, and by the way, like once a month, somebody on Facebook or Twitter just has to post, what do you guys think of Anna? Isn't she kind of whiny? I don't like her. Part of me is like, yeah, she wasn't that great a character. I didn't like her. And here we see her whining, and I'm just like, but I, she's justified. Like, it was a little too much, but she's justified. I mean, Rap's got to do what he's got to do, but I, I, I kind of I felt where she was coming from, so... Okay, I just wanted to get your take on that. Yeah, I, I I think I mentioned you this. Like, I wanted to have a podcast later, maybe later on once we get more of the characters, but to talk about the female characters sure. in in Vince's writing yeah. and how he sort of writes them. It's interesting, you know, how he chooses to represent females in his in his novels. Yeah. But yeah, Anna Anna can be annoying at times. Yes, yes, especially in the first book transfer power she's yeah. annoying she didn't have a great introduction no and but plus they were playing up, mitch loved her they were playing up the journalist thing mitch can't trust her because she's a journalist now he seems to be over that he forces her to sign like a confidentiality agreement like yeah, yeah. in like the secret room in the white house while yeah. terrorists are there like come on yeah, come weird. on that was overplayed that was one one of our critiques about transfer of power there weren't too many but certainly anna was one of them yeah. Well, we have two, I would say, two main things we want to end this first half of the book on. One is going to be the White House response and bringing in General Flood for discussions around what to do with this intelligence that Mossad has has given them on Saddam. So we have a lot of these discussions around planning a type of attack. What attack should they go with? And the other one uh, we have to get to is the raid on Donatella's, Donatella's house in Milan, the big action scene of the first half of the book. So how about we quickly talk about what do you think of the White House discussions around options? What do you do in response to the Israeli intelligence? Well, I think like this is one of the areas that Vince does really well, mm -hmm. especially when he, he has to talk about like the technicalities of like which aircraft to use, which bombs to use, yep. you know, how they're going to get in. He's very tactically gifted. And I love reading some of that stuff you know it's not like too heavy because it you know it's not like giving the exact like specs of the gun and stuff like that but it's it makes it seems plausible like he actually knows what the fuck he's talking about yeah. so ultimately they, they come up with this kind of crazy harebrained mission to send scott coleman and the boys in on white limos yeah which is going to lead to a really you know great scene later on in the, in the novels but yeah i enjoyed the you know these discussions because I feel like they're they seem real. They seem real to me. Yep. Yeah, and part of what makes it real is the advisors and the joint chiefs are giving the president options, and I really felt I don't know what the right one is, but right. I think one either the air force or someone else is saying, 
let's just drop enough surface level bombs to do the damage, but really contain it. Nothing too big, right? We'll take out the nukes. And the question is, is it enough to know that you took out the nukes? If it's an underground fortified bunker, what if they're still down there and protected? And with an air assault, you don't have anybody on the ground to verify. We have no intelligence that the bombs have been taken out of play. And then second is this like bunker bus buster. I don't know if it's a the Moab, the mother of all bombs. Yeah, exactly. And like you blow the whole complex, but one, it's a hospital. So the civilian casualties right. are going to be insane. It won't play well in the press. And although you might, you know, bust the bunker and be able to prove you destroyed the nukes, that's going to pale in comparison to how many innocents you killed. And so right. you might have stopped Saddam from getting a nuclear weapon, which the world should say, hooray. But with hundreds, if not thousands of civilians killed, there could be some backlash. So here's here's a quote um, of them going back and forth on this at the White House. One of the president's advisors says, quote, if you do it the Air Force's way, you'll be ostracized by the international community for bombing a hospital. You'll have no real proof that the nuclear weapons actually existed. Saddam will bus in the journalists so they can shoot footage of the twisted bodies in the rubble. There will be pictures of mothers holding dead babies covered in dust. And the entire Arab world will hate us even more than they already do. Saddam's control will be further consolidated around a wave of anti-American sentiment. And the UN will likely vote to end economic sanctions. And they go back and forth like that for a while. And I really like that conversation because that's got to be real ones, right? That we oh, yeah. that, that our government is having. Yeah. And they ultimately decide, you know, on this, using the limos, which apparently like Saddam had a bunch of them. Um, but, but also Kennedy brings up, well, let's try to bring the nuke back because that'll make you look good. Yep. And also it'll allow you to one, justify potentially bombing the oil fields, yep. which, you know, flood floods, like let's hit them where it hurts. You know, let's also, you know, and he's like, I can't do this. And Kennedy's like, well, what if we can prove yep. why you had to do it? And that makes sense because you can tell the UN, right? If the UN isn't going to sanction a unilateral response or the other Arab countries are going to want to come out and say, look, American imperialists just bombing another Arab country, killing people. If you actually can present the nuke and said, we recovered this from the site, you have credibility and the world has you know, basically no other option but to support yeah. America's mission, even if they did it unilaterally, even if they didn't get international support. If you recover a nuke and can prove that a, a rogue dictator was developing nuclear weapons along with the North Koreans, the proof is in the pudding. You don't have to explain yep. yourself any more than that. So Kennedy, again, yep. thinking on her feet. Let's finish up with probably the best part of this first half and the whole action yes. with once Rap has met Donatella at the cafe, they they're trying. he's trying to get the information out of her. She won't give it up. Finally, they walk back to her apartment, and something clicks with Rap. He, you know, he's always he's always on. He's never he never turns anything off. And immediately, he squeezes her hand three times, and he he, he signals that he saw someone. He's seen someone three times today, and it's like, oh shit, not and a coincidence. Then, then, no, not a coincidence. So this leads to a series of things where he wants to one you know, make sure that she gets into her apartment okay. And two, he wants to follow up on who the hell this guy is. Uh, Donatella doesn't really quite play along. She 
It's like, I can take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, goes up to her apartment. Meanwhile, Rosenthal, who is this, you know, we haven't talked much about him. He's an interesting character. And Vince actually, like, sort of, was Munich? Obviously, the movie Munich hadn't come out yet, had it? When was um, that movie? I don't know. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen Munich? What's it about? It's about the... um, About the Israeli hostages at the Olympics? It's about a team of Mossad agents that go and find and kill all of Black the September. people who... Yeah, who... It's like a fictionalized version of... So I couldn't help to... Obviously, I think that movie came uh. out after after this. Eric Bana, Daniel Craig... This the Rosenthal character is you know I the backstory we get with him about how he was you know this tiny guy who could get into places in Mossad uh, in not in Mossad in hum, like infiltrate Hamas and mm-hmm. you know he's a pretty capable assassin but he underestimates Donatella and he's like oh this this she must be some call girl that the agency uses to lure people in although Ben Freeman did warn him yeah, that you need good. to take a team. Uh, but he underestimates her. He's able to get into her apartment waiting for her, but she's ready. And the the scene where she storms in with the knife up against her yes. forearm, gun out. Yep. She like throws the her coat, does a somersault. Like I'm just envisioning that yep. in my head. That'd be like a sick scene. You know, definitely Gal Gadot is Gal Gadot can do it. That's that's straight out yeah. of Wonder Woman when she's attacking that village. Yeah. <laughs> right. She gets the drop on one of the men, yep. but Rosenthal is able to land two shots, one in her shoulder and one grazes her head. We think, you know, the cliffhanger at the end of that chapter, we think that she's gone. Yeah. But. Well, that's a big cliffhanger because she still hasn't told Rap. Rap is bugging her at the cafe. Like, you must tell me who hired you to kill Peter Cameron because whoever hired you tried to kill me. And whoever tried to kill me wanted to fuck up the CIA and wants to destroy right. Irene Kennedy. And Donatella is so close but still saying, I can't give away Ben Friedman. Not because she doesn't want an international incident, but Ben Friedman and Mossad saved her. Remember yeah. her backstory? She was like a druggie. Well, um, she saved her or, I I think, or manipulated her? No, Manipulated it's, her. I mean, that's, that's the thing, though. It's both, right? Like she was at such a low point in her life drugs and you saved her you gave her a chance at life but you were manipulating her at the same time she's torn because she sees friedman as not just a mentor professionally and trained her in this work but as someone who but an intellectual equal an intellectual equal but also almost like a a father figure a father, or even just yeah. an older brother who like if you're down and out on you're down on your luck who comes in and like takes you in and yes, you're manipulating her. Yes, you're going to use her. And eventually, as we know, Ben's going to find her expendable and want her out of the picture, sending this team on her. But that's a major cliffhanger because she's the only one who can tell Rap and the CIA who their mole is and who's orchestrating this. Who put the hit on Rap in Germany in the third option? Like, that was a major cliffhanger if she died. Right. But she doesn't die. She doesn't she's die. Able, she, plays, she plays dead, mm-hmm. uh, and she's able to take out Rosenthal. While all that is happening, Rap is outside. You know, He's like, fuck, she didn't wait for me. I'm trying to get this dude. He, he does get the, get the drop on the, the man who he, he saw and alerted him. And we get our little nugget 
or he gets a little nugget in like who potentially it could be because it's very imperceptible, but the guy like curses in Hebrew. Yep. And Mitch even like doesn't even realize it at first, but then after he, what a he couple say? seconds, he's like, yeah. wait, we're in Italy. Yep. That what was not Italian because rap knows Italian. Yeah. And then, rap parla um, yeah. italiano molto bene. <laughs> he's like, he, he knows his Italian, but he, he's better with French, which that changes throughout the or we talked yeah. about how he's yeah. bad so bad at spanish and he's bad he at shouldn't spanish. be that bad in spanish he shouldn't be that bad at fluent spanish. in french and italian and barely knows spanish by lethal agent okay nah that's yeah that's no good it's a little sketchy it's a little sketchy this is he's a master linguist master, you know he, yep. he knows arabic he knows farsi yep he's a fluent in french and he's really good in italian even if he he shouldn't be as bad like i understand like maybe not knowing spanish sure. but like he should be able to one he's a freaking spy so he should be able to you know yeah. pick it up pretty quickly yeah. obviously he's shown that he has this mind if you have a mind for languages then you can pick up on them really easily i mean you never know when you're going to be in an airport in granada spain trying to hunt terrorists and you know you're going to need some spanish language skills right like you yeah. never know you might have to plan an op to take down isis's top technology guy on an airplane so you might want to know some spanish the fact that they that just anyways i'm anyway, I'm, nip, I'm picking some nits here you're but picking like, your he didn't nits. he didn't have to be bad in spanish he, <laughs> he could have just made him he he could have just made him fluent in spanish i, I think know? last episode i dumped on kyle enough with uh me questioning the total power research that we don't need you going in on rap's language skills in the in the two newest books we love the books All we right. love you kyle you are a rock star in our opinion and all of the fans opinion that's that's why we're here complaining. Like they, I love these books so much. That's why Chris and I are spending two hours on a night after a long day of work talking nonsense and drinking beer at 10 p.m. <laughs> because of you, Kyle. Uh, because of you. Because of you. All right, let's let's finish this up with some winners and losers. What what did you like? What did not you like? What did you not? What <laughs> what did you like? And what did you not like from the first half of this book? Okay. It was a little slow. I don't want I don't mean to start negative because you're going to hear next week how much I adore this book. How much I love particularly the second half. So it's coming. But this first half struck me as slow. A little too hung up on repeating over and over Anna and Mitch's struggles, you know, oh we really want to have a family, we really want kids, which I loved being in the story and I loved that being front and center. But almost every scene where Anna and Mitch are in it, it had to start with this whole background on, did you know they, they, they're they thinking about getting married? And, you know, they have a very serious relationship. And the next time we see them, you know, they're going to Milan. Uh, it's not a honeymoon or anything, but they're really serious about their relationship. And, you know, oh, you know, Anna's going to be mad at Mitch because, you know, she was really serious about this relationship. You know, like over and over, we kept hearing about that where almost like enough was enough at some point so a little drawn out a little bit of the love stuff i like the love triangle stuff with donatella it made it both funny and interesting of like donatella is so sex obsessed and like wants to know everything about anna and she is jealous and so i enjoyed it um maybe a little too over the top and it and it slowed down the plot a little so i know i started with my negatives but how about you yeah i I think that while it was a little slow, the writing in the first half was really good. Mm-hmm. Like there was some really good Vince Lynn writing in some of these chapters and 
if you hadn't read Third Option or Transfer of Power before it, I feel like this is one of the books, one of the better ones where you could literally pick this one up mm-hmm. and based on like the loads, you know, the two to three paragraphs of background Flynn puts in before each character or at the beginning of each chapter, you could easily, you know, understand this novel. Yeah. But yeah, I wanted more action that we don't get our first action scene, not till chapter 22. Yeah. But it's nonstop uh, from here on out, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah, half. it is. It's it's almost like two two different books. It's almost two different you know, books. Like... It's true. So. It's true. You know, one other thing I really liked, if you were done, um, I like the breadcrumbs. I loved, like, your theme earlier, Games Within a Game. Hank Clark is meeting with this business person because he's super connected to this thing. He's bringing in Ben Friedman because he's secretly having Mossad do some of his dirty work. But then Ben Friedman is, you know, playing Donatella and Donatella thinks he's her savior when he's really trying to organize a hit on her to wrap up loose ends. And then Rap is uh, talking about proposing, possibly going on this uh, uh, this vacation with Anna, but he's secretly wanting to finish up his work with Donatella and Kennedy's in the background, right? She's talking about taking over the CIA and she's involved in these conversations, but she was trying to play Rap by trying to get him to admit to knowing Donatella. And so I just loved all of that intrigue, and it didn't get muddied. It was very clear how these breadcrumbs were being left for the reader to pick up on in a clear way. You know, third option, I thought that got a little murky. It was hard to follow. Here I thought it was a bit more organized in the flow. And the breadcrumbs I also liked of real history, military history, with Vince talking about bringing up the Jedburg operations of World War II with Thomas Stansfield. He does bring up the Munich Olympic hostage crisis. He brings up the Lillehammer incident. And later on, I can't help but think with the limo scene, he's referencing Operation Thunderbolt. So I love those breadcrumbs as well about real life history and military operations. Yeah, I would have to agree. All right. So what are we going to be covering next week, Mike? All right. So next week, as you can tell, I'm pretty excited to get to the second half of this book. One of the best action scenes of this book, if not a big chunk of this series, and Rap fully operating and planning a covert operation undercover, in disguise, I should say, not exactly undercover, but in disguise in Baghdad. And I'm really excited for that. So we're going to be wrapping up this book. We will give you our limericks, and we will also share more about our winners and losers along with our final rating of where this ranks in the Mitch Rapp saga. Yeah, and uh, Mike, you're going to post the covers, because we we're going to yes. have a bunch of covers for this. So yes. tell us, look on Instagram, not only for your limerick, look on Instagram and Twitter to finish our limerick, but also to pick your favorite cover. Yes, indeed. So we need to take this time to thank our patrons. Without them, this podcast would not be possible. Um, this would be our special operator, Sherry F and our special agents. We have Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, and Jeff. Special thank you to you guys. And I can't say this enough, but please subscribe, rate, and review us. If you are listening to the very end, you probably like us. So <laughs> using your favorite podcasting platform, give us, give us those five stars. Um, you can find us online at midtrappod.com or on our Twitter or Instagram handle at MitchRapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. 
just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.